Welcome to the Colors of InfoSec podcast, a podcast demystifying what it means to navigate a career in information security and technology as people of color. I'm your host, Asif Ahmad. And I am Christina Morello. And we're here to give you an all-access pass into tech and InfoSec's past, present, and future. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode. Today we have a very special guest with us, Charles Nowatu, who is a friend, father, technologist, uh, advocate, and a geek, right? Did yes. I get that right? Are you a geek? Got yeah. It. Awesome. And so we are so excited to talk to you today. We're so happy that you were able to join us. Well, first and foremost, thank you all for having me here today. Uh, so who am I? Uh, like uh, Christina said, my name is Charles Nowatu. I have been in the security professional for about uh, the last 13 plus years. I started my career out in uh, the federal space in the DOD, um, working for different COCOMs, uh, combatant commands across the globe, you know, Europe, uh, DC, and all parts of the air, uh, the, the globe. Uh, now that I've sort of transitioned to moved out to the West Coast, had a chance to work with you know, tech companies such as LinkedIn, uh, Twilio, Stitch Fix, and currently I'm an engineering manager at a company you may know as uh, Netflix. Just a small company. <laughs> Just a small Start company. Up. Just a small company. <laughs> and um, I, like for my background, you know, I started off in digital forensics and IR and uh, enterprise security, which I describe as like how do you manage endpoints, networks, firewalls, and things of that nature. And now I've I'm transitioning into like the risk quantification, compliance, automation, and engineering space, which is uh, something I'm, I'm becoming more passionate about because I believe like. Uh, GRC risk uh, compliance, it is security. Like the, I understand it may be different from other people, like from hacking and all that other things, but GRC risk quantification is a form of security. I'm, I'm really trying to promote and advocate that. So hopefully that's, that's awesome. a good little intro there. And I'm excited for the conversation that we're going to have today. So just going a little bit back to the DFIR, like, could you, for folks who are maybe new to the industry, can you talk a little bit about what what is forensics? What is incident response and what that looks like? Yeah, sure. So for me, uh, like incident response is the ability to, uh, within an organization, to respond to security events, uh, to have a team that is essentially either um, looking at alerts or doing a, alert enrichment to understand how to respond in the inevitability that something has happened. Um, sometimes you hear it uh, like crisis comms, crisis management, uh, but really the, the whole element of incident response is something has happened. What do we do to triage what has happened? And from there, what are the uh, recommendations and improvements that we can do to ensure that doesn't happen again? I almost think about if you're uh, from an analogy perspective, like uh, uh, the medical professions, like you have your ambulances that come on the scene. The first thing they, they try to do is like, well, let's like stop the bleeding. Like let's triage what we can triage and then move to a more um, established and secure place. So I, I look at incident response in that manner. Now the digital forensics is like, okay, hey, something ha ha has happened on this entity, this box, this device. Are there clues that we can surface that can tell us what actually happened here. I almost think of like the crime sleuth that's going in with the magnifying glass and shuffling <laughs> the papers and saying, oh, this is a clue. So you know, <laughs> in, a, in a digital way, like can we look at the hard drive? Can we look at the network capture? Can we, can we get the pieces together 
to make this puzzle a little bit clearer and say, all right, I have a certain level of confidence that maybe this is what took place. So I will I consider that to be more of the, the forensics part. And I think what really intrigued me about this space was that there are, you know, there's malicious applications, there's reverse engineering, there are things that it's like, like how do people want to like break things through the delivery of malicious code or clicking on phishing links? And then when something goes like ring, ring, ring in the middle of the night, like responding in a way that uh, the business has trust, like, hey, we know that you got us. Like our incident response team got, like they have our back. And the other thing I like to, to tell about incident response is that I, I consider it to be like the octopus of the organization. Like since so many incidents are happening, it could be a great data point to understand like, What's the, the current maturity level of different parts of the business when it comes to security or operational challenges? So it's a great data point for, I think, security teams to understand like what's going on, how are the investments we're making, improving our ability to uh, minimize our incident exposures. Nicely to the risk conversation, right? I think that like leveraging that experience that you've had thus far and you know transitioning into the risk and GRC space is phenomenal. You can't teach that. You can't take a certification for that. I don't, that's I'm not sure. I mean, if there is, I'd be very interested to see what, what's in those books. Yeah, there. I want to see that book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we might have to write one. I mean, but, you Ooh, know. Ideas. Let me add that to the Trello. <laughs> so, so, Charles, I have a question for you, right? What recommendations would you make for someone who's out there, who's uh, passionate about security, if they wanted to get into the DFIR space, what, what are some recommendations you would make to them? So I would say like the, the journey I, I went on, um, the experiences I had was mainly from like getting from like the SOC analysts is normally the path that I've seen. Um, and other individuals I've seen that successful in the space sometimes come from a traditional systems administration background from back in the day, like managing uh, Windows environments or Linux environments or Mac environments, and then transitioning maybe to even cloud environments because there is a distinction i would say doing incident response in a in an enterprise uh, enterprise facility versus doing incident response in like a cloud infrastructure based environment uh, there are there are some uh, nuances there in terms of like doing something in aws or google cloud platform or azure versus something you would look at maybe from your endpoints uh, your traditional networking infrastructure and things of that nature so to get into this field, I guess I would, I would definitely look for the entry-level SOC analyst job because I, I think those are, um, from what I've experienced, those are the ways that I, I got in. I, um, I definitely would be interested if you all have seen any changes in the industry with regards to just the entry-level uh, positions within security in terms of SOC analysts. I definitely would like to hear your thoughts, but that's that's the experience that I've been aware of. Yeah, well, for me, for a lot of the SOC analysts, I see them now going that ethical hacking route. They're trying to get that CEH, which a lot of people in the industry frown on that certification for whatever reason. I don't know. The um, OSCP, I noticed that's becoming a very, very hot uh, topic amongst uh, SOC analysts and, and the guys that are and gals that are trying to get into that that space. And the IR space too, the DFIR space. Um, sometimes they like to go vendor like an in-case examiner or something else like that. But I see these other organizations are trying to build up uh, the pen testing 
And and I see that's the that's where I see the industry going. It's right. it's interesting too because I noticed that a lot of you mentioned something about like the difference between operating at the enterprise level, right, or like on premises versus in the cloud, um, and there is a difference, and I think that people forget or miss that nuance. So I am seeing a lot of companies like big organ- organizations like um, Microsoft and and potentially Google and and um, AWS hiring a lot of folks to focus on like IR in the cloud, right? Specific to the cloud. Um, and then, so I see that as another entryway. Like if you can get, you know, if you can go in a technical program manager position or working within like the product engineering groups of these organizations, it's another route to getting in. Um, you know, you that you can build upon, right? It's not end all be all. It's just another like creative way, uh, way to get in. But there is a difference. And I think that people miss that. People think that because they know on-premises that um, they're automatically going to know the cloud and vice versa. And I'm here to tell you, knowing both and having hands-on experience in both, that no, (laughs) it's not what you think. Um, It is a great foundation, but there is a a kind of ramp and, and different learnings. And it doesn't even if you've been in the space for over 20 years, um, but if you've only touched on-premises technology, you you don't automatically know the cloud. It's not like a default, you know, similar to like, just because you're a developer doesn't mean that you know everything security, right? Like, I think that's also another misconception. Um, and so, yeah, I'm glad that you you, you touched that. Yeah, and, and I would actually say there's another point that I, I, I sort of forgot to call out. Um, when I got into like the information security the profession, one of the things that intrigued me was this idea of, of um, like, can I create generational wealth for like me and my family at, as I started out like with my wife when we, when we first got married? Uh, it was a career um, pathway that when I saw like the growth in terms of salaries and, and the projected spend across like the decades, I was like, oh, like maybe there's something here that I can actually like do and work and and live modestly and be like, okay, like, like this is a place. So I'm not going to lie. Like part of it, there was some money involved in, in, in addition to like liking what I do. And uh, so I, I really do believe that um, cybersecurity, information security, this whole domain, there are so many uh, subdomains within it yep. that, that require a specialty that I think it just, it offers so much to individuals that are willing to find what they can I guess, pull across and then claim as their own and then drive and mature that. That's an amazing point. And I think it's, you know, I think we, in the industry, we do a bad job of like admitting to the fact that like, hey, the money can be good in most cases and, um, or actually better than good, right? Depending on where you live. And so that's, that's, that's a motivator. And I think it's okay for that to be a motivator. Um, I'm going to have to talk to you about the generational wealth thing. I need some tips and tricks here because, you know, I got children's, but uh, yeah, I think it's important. I think it's important to be transparent about that and not um, make it an, like an exclusive kind of thing, you know, um, with, with a lot of like hard requirements about in order to, you know, move into an entry level position, you have to have 85 years experience. And the example that I always like to make about having, you know, 13 years experience in a two-year-old technology, right? Versus like critical thinking skills and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I, I definitely am an advocate for the critical thinking skills at, at earlier part of my career is, is understanding like, you know, how, how do things work? Um, one of my friends, Aaron Reinhardt, always talks about like complex systems. Like things are always complex, but how mm-hmm. do you look at them in a way that you can sort of break them apart and understand the complexity? I don't think things will get easier. I just think things will be more complex 
And it's our ability to understand that complexity and sort of test that complexity to understand like what's actually happening. Absolutely. So you were in DFIR for a little bit. Then you started to go and get more on, on the risk side and started making that your day-to-day. So can you talk about some of the challenges in that transitions, some of the positives and some of the pros and cons? Yeah, I, I like to say like my risk journey, I'm just probably maybe six to nine months into it formally, but I think I've been doing a lot of it throughout my career. Um, I think one of the challenges that I've noticed is that um, in, in the sense of risk quantification, you're trying to reduce your uncertainty about a security event or security investment. And at times, I believe as security practitioners, we're, we just follow this, this, this standard of, I'm going to build a security team. I'm going to have an AppSec team. I'm going to have an incident response team. I'm going to have a, a corporate endpoint uh, security team. Like, there's all these things that we just inherently have been told we do, right? How do we take a step back and understand, well, how do we know this stuff is actually working? How do we measure these things? How do we actually can talk about the value outside of InfoSec or the cybersecurity space to individuals who may not have the working knowledge in this space? So how do we create that language? Because the, what, I've been, what I've been harping on now is that communication matters. Words matter. 100%. How we frame the narrative of security and the investments we do, the outcomes they provide matters. And if, and if I can't figure out a way to like, talk about risk in a way that decreases that barrier of entry, I am not doing my job and I'm not doing a service to the security practitioners in our space. So I've been really focusing lately on um, like my risk is mainly been shifting on like, how do I talk about this? How do I talk about this in a way that I can give it to you all and say like, I get what you're trying to do here. I get the measurements. I get your key risk indicators. I get how you're using these things to drive new decisions or understand the decisions you've made before and or how to prioritize the work that's already ongoing. Like that's where I've been at now. That, that transition to me is more of a formal acceptance that, hey, there is a way to potentially talk about this that has a standardization across different fields. And that's what excites me now. Like I, I, if you see my Twitter feed, I'd be like, risk, compliance, engineering, mm-hmm. compliance automation is security. I'm, yes. I'm very adamant about that. It, it does support security. So I'm, I'm really pushing that narrative moving forward. And I think one of the ways is really to understand the business, right? I think that we tend to forget as information security professionals living in these bubbles or in our own bubbles that um, we are there to protect the business. And, you know, for, for those who remember the beloved CIA triad, right? Um, we need to ensure that at all times. And so again, making it exclusive is not really going to help any anyone, right? So we have to go into whatever business and understand the actual business, not the security and the technology. Like that's important. But in addition and in parallel, we have to understand what is this, what does this business do? Like, you know, for you, like what is Netflix? Like what is their business model, right? Like what, what is it they're really trying to protect against? What are their uh, key metrics or from a business perspective and what are their goals in the next five to 10 years? And how do you leverage your skills and experience and expertise to get them there? Right. So you're helping in parallel. You're not saying, you know, you're not, it's, it's not about blocking, right. Or becoming the blocker. In, in many scenarios. And I think that we miss that because we we're so involved in like taking this certification and this technology and this technology and like becoming like a 
we we automatically become a barrier. Like we become the the the, the naysayers and the nose to the business. And so then the business loses that like level of respect. Like, well, they're just there to say no and to be a blocker. And that's kind of like the unfortunate truth. I mean, we all know it, right? Like, and we're all trying to change that narrative, but it's it's been it's been like a big part of the reason why security people don't get budgets, <laughs> right? I think the communication piece is missing. Like, because if there's no, if the business doesn't understand the value prop there, then they're not going to want to spend additional money. They're going to say, hey, we budgeted a million dollars for the year. That's all you're getting, B. Like, that's that's it. Like, you're not getting any more because we're not showing that value, right? And we're not aligning our goals to their goals. Agreed. Bars. I know. Well, the the funny thing about risk and what I do is a lot of the times the the biggest challenge with risk for me isn't usually the business per se. It's usually trying to explain to the technical folks, right, that these these things that I'm kind of alluding to what Christina was just saying, like the business kind of gets risk. They understand and they're kind of programmed to think in that in that realm, in that field. But I sometimes feel the challenge is trying to tell my technical guys and my and gals, my technical folks, hey, listen, these things drive risk, these things mitigate risk, and these things, you know, we can transfer it. It's trying to get that message across to the technical folks has been a challenge for me. Have you seen anything like that? Have you had some struggles like that, Charles? Yes. Short answer, yes. And, and so the <laughs> ways that I look about this, um, I was watching Power, and um, one of the characters made this comment about, I don't know where it came from, but it's probably something famous, but I just watched it in the context of the show. He was like, if you're looking in front of the forest, you you only see the obstacles that are in front of you. But if you are able to see the top level view, you get to see all that the forest covers. So when it comes to risk and talking about risk, I've noticed that the experiences that people have had in the past come from an audit standpoint. Like they're, 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 they're receiving risk as like, you're about to audit the work that I do to either tell me that something's off or something's wrong. And while we're talking about risk quantification, what we're trying to say is that we understand your past experience. We want to change that experience. And this is how we're going to do it. We are looking to understand as you are the subject matter expert in this space, we want to capture your experience in a, in a mathematical way so that we can say, yeah, that investment you're doing over there around PKI or end-to-end encryption, like we understand that it's protecting uh, a critical data store. And we want to understand how we can uh, demonstrate the risk of that loss happening by measuring the investment that we're putting in. So by no means is it for us to come in and audit and say like what you're not or not doing. We, we in fact, want to better understand what you're doing and how you're doing it. So we can actually call out how it's driving down risk, how it's driving down the the um, the potential amount of loss the company could experience if this if an event happened in this space. So it's really just like what we are finding that we are we run into people that are very, that are defensive, and it, I feel it's my job to say, okay, let's walk back. It's all right. Come into the risk family. We got on down, on down. We'll tell you what we really hear about. So I think there's an element there of just changing people's experiences and ensuring that we're not here to audit you. We're actually here to highlight the work that you're doing and then tie it back to the business and risk loss so we know we're making the proper investments. So I think, once again, just reiterating communication, 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 yeah. narrative, narrative, narrative. 
And this sort of ties into my thing like security with grace. You got to meet people where they're at yes. and help them to get through the journey. And I think as a practitioner, like my job is to understand where people, where they're at and then yep. figure out how do I get you to where I need you to get to? How do we walk this walk together? Help me help you type of thing. So I'm all about that type of work. Do you feel that that's one of the important qualities of moving from like an individual contributor into leadership? Like that ability to kind of translate, right? From one context to another and then tie things back together multiple times for multiple audiences is one of like the core qualities of a leader in information security. Because I know we have a lot of conversations about you know, there aren't many of us in leadership roles and knowing that you are one of the folks that, you know, is in a, you know, a pretty impressive leadership role at a great company. I'm always curious to kind of understand, you know, how to get there and share with others, obviously. Yeah, I think this is this is the I, I call the challenging part of where I'm at in my career. Right. And I look at it this way. i am be honest. I never wanted to be a manager or a leader. I did not. I wanted to be an IC. Um, but when I was at LinkedIn, uh, my group said, hey, like, we want Charles to be a leader, like our, our manager for our incident response group. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, that's not what I do. <laughs> 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 but there's something to be said. And I think my, my director at the time, Corey Scott, would talk to me and say, if you're able to impart on people your thinking and create leverage where you can be a force multiplier, that as a leader can provide you a different fulfillment. And for me, once I truly started to embrace that fulfillment of how do I create the right models and framing that allow people to take that and apply that to their work and be successful and create those force multipliers. Like once that aha moment happened for me, I was like, no, managing is not bad. Yeah, there's people elements of it, and I get that. But then there's also in different companies, like leadership does not have to be people driven. You can have the expertise of a technical leader without managing people because of how maybe you solve problems or you're able to piece problems from different parts of the business and understand the technical solutions that exist. So I like I think from a high level with regards to like what does leadership look like, there's of course the managerial side of like empowering teams to be better and in, and understanding the skill sets within the team and leveraging that for the business. Then we have those technical leaders that are just technically adept and aware as to what the business needs. And then, as you mentioned, like, how do we get into those roles? Uh, sometimes it's just, I, I personally would say like my was just because of the fact that I just treated people well and they recognized that as something they wanted on a day-to-day basis. I don't know if I have the answer to say, like, this is a, the, the key of doing this, but I do believe that in my role, and I, I put this on me, I have an obligation to promote those that are underrepresented across this space into positions that allow them to become managers, leaders, or if they're already ICs, how in the heck do we get you a pathway to being a, a, a leader? If that's your path that you would like to go down, a leader, whether it's a people or of a technical leader, uh, in, in a space that you're very well versed in. Uh, so I, I always try to drive like, like getting those partnerships, those mentorships, even those sponsorships from people that can help you promote to the area that you want to get into are very, very big for me when it comes to like like getting into those managerial or leadership type of positions. Because like I said, I didn't want to be a leader or a manager. I, I was sort of like offered an opportunity because 
people around me said like this would we would love to have you do this for us to me that was just the ultimate compliment where i said okay like why why wouldn't i sort of move into this area i just didn't know at the time that it'd be like a real source of joy for me wow that's awesome that's an awesome discovery too and an awesome to for you to share that with us we I, I appreciate that um i also heard you mention something that you uh you believe in security with grace um just to give you a little bit of my experience a lot of the times i experience security with fear <laughs> in, in the type of the type of industry we work in right so for you to for you you're really an outlier here because the way you're approaching it and i'm very interested in hearing more about the security with grace can you kind of explain it to me a little bit more yeah of course uh, and did you trademark that yet? I, I, I probably need to trademark. Probably <laughs> need to figure out. Yeah, if yes. anyone can help me with that or what the process is, please hit me up. Um, <laughs> but to be quite honest, my wife uh, gave that to me. Uh, she said, "Well, she talked. She always talks about grace in the human experience, and she always says, Charles, like you're going to meet people throughout this life that are going to be at different paths, and it's for you to really recognize where they're at on that path, and are you willing to help them." Or, or, or do you see how they can help you? Are you open enough on both of those spectrums to say, hey, there's something for me to learn here? And when I applied that to security, I, I took a step back and said, you know, like you mentioned, security with fear, that's a, that's a pit inside you that you don't want to operate from. Like, why can't I operate from a place where, hey, how can I help you be better at what you need to do? How can I create services or, or pathways that allow you to just understand security? How do I make my interaction with you? Like, hey, you clicked on this, this phishing link, that means you're bad. Like, no, like there's there was an error here and there was a failure here. And my job is to help understand that failure to better, uh, to allow those individuals not to experience that failure again. Or if they do, the outcome is, is, is less impactful to them. So I always think about security with grace in the mindset of, you know, how do I help people to get from point A to point B? What role can I play in that? I want to meet you where you're at. I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm not trying to undermine you. I just want to understand your experience with security. And my job is to just improve that or at least give you a different perspective of how security can be accomplished. So I really, I really take pride in just being more of a, a people-oriented first and then building helping teams build solutions that help just get security in a better state. So security with grace for me, once again, is just about meeting people where they're at, taking the time to really hear and understand them. And then figure out like, I don't want you to have that experience. What are the things that I can do to help you there? I have that about meeting people where they're at. I always tell people that as well. Like, you know, just as a security professional, like that's my job, right? Like I have a responsibility to meet you where you are, whether it's an enterprise um, in an enterprise capacity or in a consumer capacity, like meet you where you are and then help you get better. And that, how do we get on that journey together? Um, but, you know, I, I wish more of us thought that way, right? Instead of making making up these, like making these barriers <laughs> to entry. I think I'll, I'll go on, on a limb and be a little spicy. I think that we do. It's just that we are, we may be, we have fears to actually exercise that in the people around us. Mm, that's a good point. That there may be a cost that we're willing to not pay to actually have that happen. And who is willing to pay that cost to make it happen? Because I can also say our, in our security field, you know, we can be a little, uh, we can be a little rigid in some mm -hmm. areas, 
go about things and yeah. how do we promote different thoughts, different perspectives without saying like, hey, you're crazy. You're not supposed to be doing that. Why are you not doing it this way? Like, like, can we challenge thought in a healthy way? And I'm saying that's prevalent. I'm just saying like, like, could we do this? And the reason why I bring that up is because lately I've been thinking about um, storytelling. Um, you know, being at Netflix, there's a lot of talks about like, how do you tell stories? Um, and how do we use information security data, cybersecurity data to create stories that people can understand versus just hitting people like 56% of people clicked off phishing links. Okay. Yeah, that means nothing. It's yeah. probably a story there around like, hey, maybe the person will have some anxiety and wasn't sure to determine whether or not I should click this or not. How do I help reduce that that pain or that anxiety? What 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 types of overlays or security um, investments can we make to help that experience? I don't know, but we always focus on, hey, they, the 56 people that clicked it, they're wrong. No, 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 no. It can't be that way. Yeah. We gotta gotta be better at that. And also putting the blame all on the user. Like, right, I take issue with that. Like I don't like the whole kind of narrative around, you know, the user is the problem or like the users are our weakest link. No, you know, on the quite on the contrary, I think the users are um, first of all, I hate the term users, humans, right? Our colleagues are our greatest, our strongest link. But to the point of storytelling, I think that's super, uh, that's super important. I was actually, I think I was talking to you, Asset, the other day where I was telling you, like, I really want to take like more of like a storytelling or like even looking at journalistic type. Like, I don't, I don't know. I was just trying to like, how do I understand how to tell better stories? And I was doing this class from Pixar, right? Just to, to learn how to tell better stories. I think that's super, super important. And I think that it speaks to the point that um, we always share on this podcast that, you know, you can't expect to solve today's problems with the same thinking that created them, you know, because you need to think out of the box. You need to be unconventional. You need, you know, diverse teams, perspectives, ideas, and you need to get comfortable with just being uncomfortable, right? It can't, we have to get rid of the, we've always done it this way mentality. Right. Overall. So I really like that. But number two, listen, if you work on a Netflix special for information security professionals, I'm going to be sending an email. Okay. Yeah. I hear you. I'm going to visit LA again. I hear that. You want to come back out to LA? I want to come back out. Okay. I had a great experience. I want to come back out. I want to come back out. So, yeah. So, so, so Charles, um, I, I think that was that was amazing as far as you sharing that perspective with us. So, uh, as we all know, this month is uh, Cyber Awareness Month. So, do you feel like there's anything that you would like to tell people or tell share with fellow professionals in the field uh, about about this month, or there's things or any tips or, or ideas you have that you'd like to share? I think the number one thing for me is just you know password management. Um, whether you're a one pass, last login, like just 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 do better. Like we, not, I'm not trying to ask for a lot right now. Just do better. Just make a little improvement. Get some some complex password phrases that you can remember. Like just just do better. You know, let's start there on this is the basic hygiene of your accounts. Uh, they like do those password manage managers and just use those things. They really do help. Uh, they have mobile. They can hook it to your browser extensions. There's so many great ways to use them. So I'm going to say, start at the basic, just do better, password management, that's all. And then to, I just want to address something that Christina brought up about the, the storytelling. I've been stressing communication this whole time. Um, my my current boss, uh, Brooks, Brooks Evans here at Netflix, 
he always tells me like, Charles, as you're thinking about writing, I want you to think of three things. One, brevity, uh, being concise and precision and sentence structure, sentence development, uh, transition, transition words are, are very big. And I've been reading a book and this is gonna drop this year. It's called, the, It Was the Best of Sentences. It Was the Worst of Sentences. Uh, I'm probably gonna butcher this last name, but by June Casagrande. Um, oh yeah, uh, we'll link to that. We'll link to that in the show notes. That sounds amazing. It, it's been a very helpful guide in terms of helping me improve how I communicate verbally. And as I mentioned before, as I've moved into my career and more of a manager leadership role, like being able to articulate uh, my positions in a way that organize my thoughts and then helps inform my readers, I think is the beauty of writing and hopefully as I transition into storytelling. I didn't think I was gonna be, like I, I was already inspired by you, but I didn't think that I could get even more inspired by you. And I'm just like, listen, can you be like our mentor sponsor? Uh, friends, well, well, we already I, have, I have your number. I know, I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I bug well, you all the time. <laughs> well, he's definitely a friend of the show from here on out. So <laughs> I think we both. It's very, very inspirational, Charles. I, I, I was definitely moved by a lot of things that you said. I definitely, you know, I, I learned a lot, and uh, that's one of the great things about doing this is is being able to meet people like yourself. It, it was truly an inspirational talk. I, I enjoyed it. Cool. Like I said, thank you, too, for having me, giving me the opportunity to just break bread with you. I wish to continue doing this more with people within our, our community and our field. Like I really do appreciate it. And I thank you. And please always reach me and hit me up. My Twitter DMs are open. I always like talking to people. Like I, I like to stay behind the scenes, but every once in a while, people push me out in the front. So I'm going to go back to my hermit crab mode and go go hiding. No, not today. Today. Today is share the mic in cyber. So yeah. you know, Charles is one of the uh, great practitioners that is being featured and amplified today. So definitely follow that hashtag today and after today uh, or, well, any day, right? Because it's going to live forever, live on forever. So yeah, share the mic in cyber on Twitter. I'll go back into your hermit crab. We need you. We need the greatness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do my best. Thank you all. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, among others. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Colors of InfoSec. Thanks for listening.